Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. Delighted to say I'm here with Alexander Kelf. He's a leading expert in workplace happiness. He's the author of this book, Happy Hour is 9 to 5, How to Love Your Job, Love Your Life, and Kick Butt at Work. He's also uh, the author of the very popular uh, The Chief Happiness Officer blog, um, and you've also got a project for measuring happiness at work, uh, the heart count. Uh, so, Alexander, I'm very uh, delight- delighted to have you here. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for doing this. Okay. Um, so, yeah, let's 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 wind it back then. When when did? Oh, and I should also say for people who are just listening, Alexander has the most extraordinary shirt on, <laughs> which I'm absolutely <laughs> loving. <laughs> and if the, <laughs> there couldn't be a greater expression of happiness than that shirt. Um, so yeah, let's sort of wind it back on and when you kind of started on this this journey to get interested in workplace uh, happiness. Yeah, so for me, it came out of personal experience. Uh, I, I, I've come out of the tech sector. I have a master's degree in computer science. I co-founded a small tech company in Copenhagen. Holy crap, way back in 1997. Um, And when we started, me and my two co-founders, when we started this company, we decided to make it a good workplace. And I think we succeeded to create a really good culture. We sold the company in 2002. And then I was like, okay, now what do I want to do? Do I want to start a new tech company? Do I want to get a job somewhere? And then I realized that what I'm truly passionate about is is happiness at work. Because I've tried both. I think everybody has, right? I've had jobs that I absolutely loved. I've had jobs that I absolutely hated. And I, I felt the difference between the two um, and what it does for me and my and my efforts at work and, and, and my whole life, basically. Um, so I thought, you know, happiness at work is really important. Um, and nobody at the time was, was actually talking about it. Um, so in 2003, I started my company uh, called Woohoo um, and started doing uh, talks, workshops and conferences about happiness at work. Um, looking extensively at the research, at the science, and trying to figure out, so how, what does the science say, and how do we apply that in our workplaces to make them better places to work? Right, right. And, and I'm just interested then, so you, you said that you'd had bad experiences as well. Before you started the tech firm, had you had some, some adverse experiences? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, there was those one, uh, one consulting job I had where, where they, I, I, <laughs> I still remember my job interview. My job interview was, it was one question. How many hours can you work? It's like, the more, the better. Um, and once you were, once I was, I, I got the job. And once I was working as a consultant, they, they, they didn't care about me. They didn't care about my learning, my professional growth, my skills, my competencies. They cared about one thing only. And that was how much did I invoice every single month? Mm. Um, it was, it was a terrible experience. Um, and I, I hated it so much and I became fairly stressed. Uh, so that would be one example of a, a, a bad job that I had. Um, and I think everybody's been there. And I think we all know uh, what, what, what that kind of thing, what kind of that kind of thing does to a person. And for me, it just made me, it ruined my work days. Yes, but it also ruined the rest of my life. Mm. Um, and, and I became stressed and tired. I remember gaining a lot of weight. It was, it was a terrible experience. Right. Right. And, and I, I guess, um, what, um, how did you extricate yourself from that? Like, because I guess oh, there may be other people listening to this, like thinking, <laughs> yeah, you quit, right? Yeah. And that's, that's, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things we can all do to become happier at work is, is if we're stuck in a job where we're not happy, we can, we can get the hell out of there. 
Um, and I think people are much are, are very reluctant to quit. Um, mm. We've been, I think we've been told, we've been indoctrinated, I would say, to think that quitting is bad, you know, uh, especially in America, right? Uh, winners mm. never quit and quitters never win. Uh, but that's, that's nonsense. Um, you know, I think you would have to be extraordinarily lucky to go through an entire career, an entire work life and never end up, you know, in a bad work situation, in a, in a toxic workplace with a bad boss, with, you know, uh, just a bad workplace or with horrible coworkers or whatever. Um, and, and if you find yourself in that situation, the, the best option is very often to quit. Um, and that's, I've done that twice in my life, just. One, one time I, I just, I felt disrespect my boss and I just quit on the spot. That was a, a previous tech job. And, and every single time I've done that, I've, uh, you know, I've gone on to bigger and better things and gotten out of, you know, bad situations uh, before they drove me all the way into the ground. Yeah. And that, that, I found that there's a section in your book where you talked about giving yourself uh, the ability to quit, right? And not living at the limit of, of your salary. Yeah. So for people who are listening to this and well, I can't quit, you know, I've got a mortgage and I can't, I just couldn't afford to. Yeah. Just talk people through like the strategy there. Well, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I recognize, first of all, I just want to say that I recognize that I'm, I, I'm very privileged, uh, in that I have that opportunity and not everybody does. Uh, there's, there's a huge crisis for the middle class in many countries right now, including the UK, including the U S. Mm. Um, where, you know, you, uh, in the U.S. you have to pay for your uh, higher education and you come out of that with massive student debt, um, student loan debt, and then, and then you have to pay off that while you're working. Um, <clears throat> so I, I recognize that I'm very privileged being Danish where higher education is free and you actually get paid to study and that kind of thing. So I got out of, you know, university with no debt. So just recognizing that uh, my, my philosophy has always been to try to live without taking on too much debt. Um, and, and sort of to live within my means, uh, because that, yeah. that financial freedom then gives you career freedom. Um, so, so I have been, every time I've been in a job where I was like, this sucks, I want to leave. Uh, I have not been, uh, you know, uh, constrained by financial worries to stay in that job. Uh, but again, I recognize my privilege, um, in the U S things are way worse because not only is your, you know, you may have massive student loan debt, but you may also be tied to your job through your healthcare. Because yeah. of course, healthcare is in the U.S. is is uh, is uh, through your in many cases through your employer. So if you quit your job, you're gonna you and your family may lose healthcare, and that leads to something called job lock, uh, job lock, which is people staying in jobs they hate because you know other circumstances prevent them from quitting. And and the ironic thing here is that that's of course bad for people, but it's also bad for the workplace yeah. because workplaces shouldn't want people to work there if they hate it there. Yes. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's, the, that's just bad for everybody. Um, so it's, it's a terrible system. But if, if, if for anybody listening, uh, if, if there's any way you can, you know, live within your means, create a cushion, a financial cushion, so you have the financial freedom to quit if, if your job turns bad, that is going to give you a tremendous amount of freedom. Um, and that's yeah. what I've, tr I've, I've tried to do all my life. And that's, and that's an interesting point you don't really hear in the context of workplace happiness. We often hear like the practices and the things that managers can do and the culture we can create. But one of the things you can do as an individual is get yourself to the point where you can quit if you need yes. to. As, yes. As and there's a, there's a natural be. tendency whenever, yeah, and, and there is a natural tendency like whenever we make more money, we sort of increase our expenses. 
I forget that there's actually a law for it that any increase in your personal income will be met by a 10% larger increase in your personal expenditure. Um, yeah, that's, 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 uh, that's, that's a dangerous, I think that's, a, uh, that's tricky. That puts you in a, uh, in a precarious situation where you may want to quit, but you're not financially able to, unless you can line up the next job. Um, and sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't. Sometimes it might actually be better for your, you know, mental health and your physical health and your career to be able to quit a job right now without having the next one lined up. Uh, yep. People are very reluctant to do that. Uh, but in some cases, that will be the best option. And if you have the financial freedom to do that, that is absolutely a great thing. Again, recognizing that not everybody will be able to do that. Yeah. And, and it, it's interesting, just as you say that, reflect on degrees of financial freedom, because often people will use that term to mean they, they don't need a job at all, right? They've got passive income set up and, and they basically, they're, you know, they, they're, they no longer require a job to live. Uh, and that's how we often define financial freedom. But actually, there's a, there's, a, there's a degree towards that, which is I could afford to quit and go a few months before I found the next job. Maybe that's yes. a lot more easier for people to aspire to in the first instance. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that would be way more achievable for most of us, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes um, that makes a lot of sense. The other thing that I liked in the book was you you categorized if if you're in a situation where it's it's the manager, and we we will get we will get onto you know actually what what happy workplace looks like. But I just think it's interesting for people who who right now are like feeling the burden of this. It, you, you've got three types of manager, and accordingly, yeah. you should you you should make your choice. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's the, there's the, there are, there are good managers, uh, and, and those are amazing. And, and, and if you work for one of those, uh, appreciate it. Uh, but if you have a, if you work for a bad manager, some of them are just are like, they're bad, but they don't know they're bad. Mm. Um, and that's, I think those, those people are usually capable of learning, hopefully. Um, and, and you can, and you can maybe, you can maybe work with them and, and point out, you know, here are some things you do that don't really work for me. Could we maybe do things differently? Uh, but then the, of course, the other kind of manager is, is they don't, they don't care. They, they, they don't, some of them don't even know they're bad. Right. Mm. And and you can, and you can maybe show them, listen, here's some things you do that are actually affecting your staff negatively. Stop, stop doing that. And then some of them know they're bad and they don't care. Uh, Elon Musk springs to mind right now, right. um, as he is beyond reform. Uh, there is no way he's ever going to be, he, uh, he knows he's a bad manager. He said as much as interview, in interviews. But he just doesn't care enough about his people to change his ways. And we're uh, what he's what he's his his management style at, t at Tesla and SpaceX have been legendarily bad, like rage firings and uh, you know berating staff and 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 forcing them to do massive amounts of overwork, that kind of thing. And then he's just taking he just turned it up to eleven uh, in Twitter now. Uh, so he's an example of an uh, of, of of a bad boss who knows he's bad and doesn't care at all. Um, and I would urge anybody working for Elon Musk to get out of there before he self implodes. That's that's that is that point is weak or months away. Uh, he's an extreme example, but but those bosses exist. Um, and I I I can't urge people strongly enough. If you work for one of them, one of those managers, get out. It's not gonna get better. It's only going to get worse. It may end up with you in a, in burnout or, you know, or in, in a, in a mental breakdown. Um, you want to get out before that happens. Um, and it's actually, it's, it's sort of a, a utopian dream of mine, right? 
Imagine if, if everybody who works for that kind of manager quit tomorrow, if all right. of the bad bosses just lost all of their employees, how amazing would that be, right? If they just woke up tomorrow and had no people to, to yell at anymore. Right. Uh, that, they, yeah. So uh, absolutely, there's, there's a ton of research that supports uh, the, the negative effects of having, having a bad manager and just how bad it can be. Yeah, I mean, I saw in your book something like 70% of people leave roles because of a bad boss. Yes, there's the, 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 the old adage that people take the job for the job and they leave it because of the manager. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then one thing that you, you talked about in terms of, well, how, how, do I, how do I have those difficult conversations, potentially difficult conversations with my boss and give them feedback and so on? And you mentioned uh, giraffe language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, nonviolent communication is sort of the more formal term for it, or giraffe language. Uh, and for those who are not familiar, it's, it's like a framework for tricky conversations where you state the facts, you know, these are the facts, can we agree on the facts? And then you state, you know, here's my interpretation of the facts, here's what I think we should do going forward, and here's how I think we can follow up on. Or it's like, here's, here's how these facts affect me, here's what I think we should uh, do going forward. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a very useful framework for those kinds of tricky interpersonal situations uh, that, that can often devolve. If you, if, you, if you don't prepare well, they can devolve into like mutual blame, uh, like a mutual blame game. Uh, you, you don't want to go there. Uh, so here, you know, uh, dear coworker, I've noticed that you are always late every single morning. This affects all of us in the team because then we have to rush around and, and do your work while you're not there. Could we make sure that you actually, uh, you know, get into work, uh, and then can we follow up on that in two weeks and see if that's actually that will be a, a, like a, a good use of that framework, for instance? Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I'm I'm familiar with nonviolent communication, and I yeah I've, I've uh, found it to be yeah really effective. And it just because it, it's like because you've got a way to prepare for those conversations and a formula, it just gives you it, it takes the stress out of like first of all how how am I going to approach it right because you've got you've got like a template. Yeah. Uh, and then and then once you've been that and you've been through the script, it's then a hell of a lot easier when you're faced with that person to say that thing you want to say because you've rehearsed it and you've got a logical flow. And it it just yeah, it it just helps for that to actually happen, for for the challenge to actually happen. And then the structure of it also means that you're more likely to get a good result. Um, because exactly. the whole idea is it's non-violent. You're not pointing the finger, that's the violent part of it. You're not so it, and it doesn't always work because it's not infallible, but it, it's, it's far less likely to get that person's back up and to get them in a defensive mode. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's great. Yes, so, um, so we've talked a little about it, like, you know, what to do if you're in a position where it's, uh, it, it's not a happy workplace, but swinging back to when you, you quit, quit the company that you'd sold and you, started, you said you started to look at some of the research into mm -hmm. your happy workplaces, what were some of the discoveries you made in the in the literature um, that you know that got you interested? Yeah, so um, I think I think part of it is is the is like what does happiness at work do for you, and what does it do for the workplace? Uh, a huge amount of research on that, and it turns out that happiness is very very uh, happiness at work is very good for us as people. Um, and unhappiness at work is very bad for us. Uh, this is not surprising because we spend so much time at work. We invest so much of our energy there. Um, and it makes up like a, 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 a large part of our identity is, is, is in what we do uh, for a living. Um, so it turns out that if you are actually happy at work, you are also happier in life. 
Uh, you are more successful at work because you do a better job when you're happy. Um, you are uh, healthier. You are um, you are a better coworker when you are uh, when you are when you actually enjoy your job. You work better with others uh, when you have a good day than when you have a bad day. So there are any number of positive health effects uh, and positive career effects and positive life effects for people who like what they do. Um, so that's sort of for, for the individual. And then looking at it from the workplace's perspective, because you know a lot of bosses are like, yeah, yeah, that's all well and good, but show me the money. Um, and it turns out that the research very clearly shows that happy workplaces make more money uh, because mm. happy workers are more productive, they're more creative and innovative. They have, uh, they're sick less often, so the absenteeism rates are lower. Um, they stay with the company longer, so you can save money on recruitment and training costs. Uh, it turns out that there is a huge spillover effect from employee happiness to customer happiness. Uh, just as an example, we worked with uh, one IKEA warehouse in uh, in Copenhagen, uh, where they were like, "We need to get customer satisfaction scores up," and they they realized that the best way to do that was to bring employee satisfaction scores up, um, and it absolutely worked. It was a fantastic project. Um, so so there's there's a tremendous amount of research support research supporting this. Uh, that that happy employees lead to better results for the company. So that's the sort of the the positive effect side of it. Um, and then the other side of it is so okay, fine. Happiness at work is a good thing. I I kind of think we all know that. Then the question becomes, how do we do it? Yeah. And then again, there's there's a tremendous amount of research on that. What what is it that actually makes you and me happy at work? You know, when when do we like our jobs? When do we not like our jobs? And this is where I think a lot of companies get it completely wrong. Uh, because I think a lot of companies are like, yeah, yeah, we need, you know, we need to attract the best employees. We need to make them productive and creative. Um, let's give them a gym in the office. Let's give them massages and smoothies and, you know, good food in the cafeteria and fancy coffee machines and, uh, I don't know, spinning classes or whatever, right? Um, and they try to buy happiness with, with stuff, with, with perks, or they try to do it with money, right? Uh, let's have competitive salaries, let's have, let's have amazing bonuses, let's have you know, good promotions and that kind of thing. Um, and the research is very clear that that does not work. Those are not the things that make us happy at work. Um, and I've seen this with my own eyes because I've been to workplaces where they have the most amazing perks you can imagine and people hate it there. Uh, because those are just, they're not the things that make us happy at work. Um, I'm just to make it clear, uh, want to add to that point. I'm not saying we can ignore salaries. Salaries obviously matter and salaries need to be fair. Uh, bonuses need to be fair, uh, compared to what other coworkers are getting or compared to like the market average or, you know, the average for your profession or skills or education. Yeah. Uh, because if something is unfair, it can absolutely make us unhappy. Uh, but once those, but once those things are fair, increasing them above the fair level does not make us any happier. Uh, the research is very clear on that. <clears throat> um, and, and, and so many companies that's, that's been sort of my realization waste. They waste so much time and energy and money on stuff. I, I went to a, <laughs> I spoke at an HR conference in Istanbul and I talked to the HR manager of a big multinational company in Turkey. And, and she told me that, you know, they, they'd asked their employees, they told their employees, you know, you don't seem very happy. What can we do for you? And the employees said, you know, we want free fruit every day. And they got free fruit every day and they were still not happy. 
then they, they asked the employees, what do you want now? They, the employees were like, we want a gym in the office. They built a gym in the office and nobody went and they were still not happy. Um, and then they were like, so what do you want now? Uh, and the employees were like, how about a swimming pool? <laughs> and the company said, no, you're not, you're not getting a swimming pool. And that just shows that you, you cannot buy happiness with any of those things. Cause you know, you give, you give employees like a gym in the office and it's nice and they appreciate that for about two weeks and then it's just there. Now it's just an entitlement. They're just used to it. So those things, they never... Sorry, but it's just interesting that those, those, what they weren't answering was I'd like a, a more empathetic boss or I'd like, well, yeah, why, yes. why is the first answer something material? That, that's curious. Is what I'm that's, curious. that's because people don't know what will make them happy. And that's actually yeah. one of the, the, the key things or key goals of our work is to try to make people aware of what it really is that makes them happy at work. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people have been trained to think that, that, you know, that's, that, that would make me happy. That would make my workplace better if we got all of that. And I promise you, it won't. It, it, it really, really won't. Um, but we just have the wrong idea of what will make us happy. There's um, a researcher called Daniel Gilbert who's researched that. And he's, he says people are just very bad at predicting what will make them happy. Uh, lottery, you know, that, uh, stop people on the, stop a hundred people on the street and ask them what would make you happy in life. And a lot of people will say winning the lottery. Um, and it turns out that lottery winners are actually only a little bit happier on average than the general population. Um, that, that, yeah. that's fascinating and immediately applicable to, to any managers listening. So the, the first, the first question you may not want to ask your team is what would make you happy? It's actually, that's actually, and we never do that. We never ask that question in the work we do. We ask a very different question, actually. Um, can I try this on you? That would be amazing. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, can you, uh, can you think of like a specific situation recently where you were happy at work? We were like, this is amazing. Wow. I'm having a great time at work right now. So, uh, yeah. So I, I mean, in some ways I think we're in a similar line of business, but yeah, I, I, uh, I um, was leading a development workshop, a leadership development workshop uh, with a colleague of mine. And it was a, it was a section of, of this particular program uh, that I'd never done before. And I led it and I got good feedback. And yeah, so I felt very happy. Yeah. And, and what about that made you happy? Uh, a feeling of accomplishment, a feeling of, yeah, my colleague here has taken a bit of a risk. She's let me do this. Uh, knowing it's the first time on a program she was leading and I, I did a good job. Yeah. See, that's a, that's a great example. Uh, and first of all, congratulations. Good job. <laughs> that's amazing, right? Feels good. Um, yeah. um, so, so we never in our workshops or in our talks, we never ask people what would make you happy at work. We use this question. Tell me about a specific situation that made you happy at work. And when we ask that question, nobody, and I mean, nobody in the, the almost 20 years I've done this has said, well, I got free fruit, uh, or, you know, the coffee in the company's great, or I went to the gym in the Although office. Although that does make a difference. Sorry? Although good coffee does make a difference. I, uh, I, I'm on a, I'm on a crusade against bad coffee in the workplace, but nobody ever mentioned the coffee again is there, but nobody ever mentions that nobody, nobody ever says I got a raise and it made me really happy. Yeah. Nobody ever said I got a bonus and it made me really happy. So what people mention instead are exactly what you said. Um, it, it, there are there, and, and that's, that brings us to what makes us happy at work. Should we talk about that mm, now? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So looking at the research and trying to, cause there, there are so many great models. There's like self-determination theory is a great model. There's, uh, I think Dan Pink and his, and his uh, talk about motivation oh, yeah, is really cool. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of 
bringing the, that to the essence of it, we talk about two things that make us happy at work. And the first one is results. And that's ex exactly what you talked about, right? Mm. Results is when you're good at your job, you make a difference, you can reach your goals, um, you, can, you can build up new skills and knowledge and get even better at what you do and progress professionally. Um, that feeling of accomplishment that you talked about, that, that is a yeah. huge factor in happiness at work. It just feels amazing to be good at your job. And, and conversely, if you're not good at your job, uh, that feels terrible to know that, you know, I'm, I'm not good at what I do. I can't perform. I can't reach my goals. I'm probably going to get fired uh, because I'm not good enough at this. Um, and I should say what, what especially matters talking about results is meaningful results. So not just, it's not just checking off items on your to-do list or, you know, reaching a milestone. It's, it's when you can see that the work I do makes a difference for somebody else. Like when you're in a training situation and you yeah. can see that you're, you're, uh, you're uh, helping the people uh, you're teaching, right? Yes. yes. And making, it, making a positive impact on them. Yeah. Uh, those meaningful results are huge in, in, uh, in happiness at work. And that's, that's, that's interesting. Yes. Because yeah, when I think about my, I got all, if I, if even if I hit like 20 admin tasks in a day, it's like one tenth of what I experienced when I, I made the difference for those people in that workshop. Yeah. That's, yes. that's a really important point, isn't it? The meaningful gratification there. Exactly. And then the other factor that really makes us happy at work is relationships. And that is when we have, you know, we have good relationships with our coworkers, a uh, good relationship with our manager. Uh, if you're the manager, good relationship with your employees. Um, this feeling that I am valued in the workplace, not just for my skills and my knowledge and my work, but also, you know, for myself. Uh, I'm the, the people in, the, in my workplace, people on my team care for me as a human being. Um, good relationships is when we know each other, not just as professionals, but also as human beings. Um, and it, it's when we, you know, we can, it's when we can be ourselves in the workplace and connect with other people. Um, it's, it's very hard to make relationships, good relationships in the workplace. If you're just, if you're, you know, if you're putting on your professional mask every, every time you go to work, um, I think a, a sign of good relationships is when you can be yourself and genuinely connect with other people who are also being themselves in the workplace. Um, and there's, there's so much research on this showing the value of the, the, the absolute, absolutely essential importance of good human connections in the workplace, um, and especially a good relationship with your immediate manager. Uh, and I, I promise right. you, if you have a bad relationship with your manager, you're going to have a bad time. Uh, work is going to suck so bad. Uh, and if you have a good relationship with the people you work with, um, it, it's everything, everything is better. Um, yeah, so those, those are the things we need to look for. And, and whenever we do workshops in, you know, around the world um, or, or speeches, we ask this question, you know, tell me about a specific situation that made you happy at work. And every single time, every single time, it's about the, the stories that come out about results and relationships, uh, doing great work together with great people. Um, and this is across cultures. This, if, if there's one thing that unites us uh, across, you know, uh, countries, cultures, religions, it's work. Everybody works pretty much. Um, right. And it doesn't matter. I've done this in China, in the US, in Africa. I've done this in, um, I did a workshop in Kuwait for a bank, uh, which is it, uh, it's called Kuwait Finance House. It's run by Islamic law. Uh, right. So I did two workshops for men only and one workshop for women only. 
Um, and a lot of the women were in, uh, in burkas, so you could only see their eyes. It was kind of okay. tricky when somebody asks a question, because like, who's, who's talking in the audience? Right. Uh, <clears throat> so culturally very different from what I'm used to in here in Denmark, but, but crucially, and there are so many differences in, 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 you know, between Danish workplaces and this workplace in how people interact. <clears throat> For instance, you know, work stops whenever there's it's prayer time. And then everybody yeah. prays together. There's an imam on each floor. Uh, there are separate floors for men and women. So hugely different. But when you ask this question, the answers I got in that bank were exactly the same answers I would got, get in any bank in Denmark. It was right. about, you know, I, I had this client who was in a tricky financial situation and I could help her and she was so happy. Or, you know, the other day, my manager was like, I see you've been working so hard. Can I take you out to lunch so we can just spend some time and, and, uh, and, and have fun together? Uh, results in relationships. This is across cultures. I, and I think, uh, I think the reason why this is so universal is because those are, they represent our two most fundamental psychological needs as human beings. It's the need to know that I matter, I make a difference, and the need to know that I'm liked, I'm loved, I'm, I'm accepted uh, for who I am. Mm. Um, and, 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 and those are incredibly important for us at work and, and, and in everything else we do, right? whether it's education or your home life or your social life or your romantic life, um, results from relationships. That, that, is, that is what we look for more than anything else. So that's my, my advice to people is, is when you're looking for a job, you, know, you, you want a job with a, a fair salary, fair working conditions uh, and that kind of thing. But, but more than anything else, you want a job where you can have great results and great relationships. And my message to managers is of course, you know, uh, create a, a work environment, create a culture where people have, where you can help people to have great results and great relationships. That's what makes us happy at work. Right, right. And and what are the common anti patterns, if you like? Like, what are the <laughs> what are the circumstances that tend to pull against that in the yeah. workplace that that you help people unpick? Yeah. So the number one thing is bad managers. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, and they exist everywhere. Every company has them. Um, the, the the question is. <laughs> when there is a bad manager in the in an organization what happens to that person do they go up the ladder and in many organizations they do because like the the the, the image they have of good managers is somebody who's tough and decisive and yeah and 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 brutal in 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 some way um uh whereas of course good workplaces have ways of identifying bad managers and then either making them good managers or getting them the hell out of there yeah. Um, that is, that is definitely an anti-pattern is, and, and, and the whole thing, uh, is, is bad management. And especially if you have a, a, a bad manager at the top, if you have a CEO who is a, a jerk, um, then that's going to permeate, uh, through the entire organization because jerks hire other jerks, um, and they promote other jerks because they see themselves in, in, in them. Um, yeah. And you see that in a lot of organizations. Uh, so that's an anti pattern. Another one is overwork. Um, there are many cultures where, where like it's uh, working long hours is a sign of commitment and grit. Uh, that is, of course, complete nonsense. Uh, all the evidence shows that when people routinely overwork, this is more than like more than 45 hours a week, they actually get less work done. This is uh, right. something we've known since World War One. This is as absolutely, absolutely fascinating. They did in uh, in England during World War One. Uh, they had all these munitions factories um, to create uh, shells and ammunition for the British Army. 
Right. And they wanted to uh, they wanted to maximize production, of course, because they needed that for the war effort. Um, and so they did productivity studies on the different teams, and they they tried regulating the working hours. And they found out that if you raise the working hours above 40 hours a week, and some of these teams were working like 80, 90 hours a week, they actually got less done. They produced less munitions than the teams who worked 40 hours a week. That is absolutely, we've known this since World War freaking one, okay? Um, so, that is, so that is absolutely a problem. Um, and then I would say, uh, oh, what should I take? Take choose the third one? Um, I would say just getting it wrong is probably the third big problem is, is focusing on the wrong things. Um, right. Companies thinking that, yeah, why are our employees not happy? We gave them a gym, we gave them massages, we gave them fitness classes, and we gave them smoothies, right? Why are they not happy? Um, and that's because you, you gave them all of this, but you still treat them like crap. You still overwork them. You still give them bad managers. You still create a toxic culture. Um, and, and, and the interesting thing is that in that case, you know, the, all of that stuff you give them, can, it, it won't work. It's almost a slap in the face, right? Because you're trying to buy happiness while you still treat people like crap. It's not, not going to work. Right, right. And, and then, so starting with the bad managers, um, so obviously if they're, they're unred yeah. irredeemable, then, then you, the, the company needs to get rid of them. Um, but what are the ways in which managers can shift their behavior to increase uh, happiness for those who are willing and able? Results and relationships. That's where, that's where you need to focus uh, our employees and, and say, what can I do? Um, I've got a message that my internet connection is unstable. I hope it'll work. Okay. Um, look at your employees and, 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 uh, and, 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 and ask yourself or, or, you know, talk to them and figure out what can I do so that you experience great results so that, you know, you do great job, uh, a great job. How can I help you to do a better job? Is there anything you need? Can I provide some, provide some resources, tools, uh, coaching, counseling, help, assistance, uh, advice? Uh, in order for you to get to to uh, get better results, um, that's that's absolutely crucial, um, and and also uh, uh, something managers can do is highlight the the purpose of the work, because like I said, what what makes us happy is not the results in themselves; it's meaningful results. When I know that my work makes a difference, but a lot of bosses don't; they never talk about that. They're always like, "Here's the next goal. Here's the next goal. Here's the next goal." And what you can do once in a while is you can stop and say, "Hey." Here's how you made a difference for your clients this month, this week, today, this year, whatever. Here's how you made a difference for the company or for the team or for this other team in the, in the organization. Um, there, there, one client we worked with uh, actually did this uh, once a month. They had an all hands meeting where the, the, the managing director would get on stage, give some information, and then the, she would always celebrate three teams for the results they'd achieved and how those results made a difference. So that would be an example of how you uh, give people that feeling of results. And then for, and then for relationships, uh, connect with people. Take an actual interest in your employees as human beings. Get to know them as people, not just as workers. Uh, be invested in their happiness. Care about them as workers and as human beings uh, and, and, and connect with them. Uh, make sure you have time for them. Make sure that, you know, as a manager, make sure that your whole week isn't wall-to-wall -wall meetings. Uh, you know, and, and for a lot of managers, it is. So yeah. if one of your employees has a problem, uh, they can't find you, they can't reach you, you're not there for them, you won't probably, probably won't see them. Uh, 
uh, it's actually a hallmark of good managers is that they have time and energy to actually see their staff um, and and notice if something is is going on with them. I talked to the manager of uh, a middle manager in a Danish workplace, and you know one day she's in the office and she notices that one of her employees is looking really sad, and so she goes over. She's like, "Hey, come with me. Let's grab a cup of coffee. What's going on?" Finds out that his mom is you know, like very very sick, and uh, very ill at that point, um, and then okay. Sorry to hear that. How can we help? Do you need time off? Would you would you would prefer to come to work? What can we do to help you? And just that, you know, noticing people like that, that's how you build those relationships. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that makes uh that makes a lot of sense. And and when and when it, it comes spe- specifically for, for, to this point around relationships, so clearly, mm-hmm. yeah, noticing somebody's emotional state and inquiring into it. Um are there are there other, I guess, techniques that you've observed that that help particularly in terms of <laughs> yeah. building relationships across teams and between managers and, and those in the team? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's a lot of the work we try to do is 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 not just point to the you know to what to what you do, but how can you do this? How can we give people effective daily practices that support these uh, these results? Right. Uh, and relationships. So a good example for um, this, this is going to sound stupidly simple, but like say good morning to your staff. When you come to work in the morning, I this, um, they rush through the office and into their own office, close the door, turn on the computer and start doing emails or, you know, f- straight into the first meeting. But why not have five minutes in the morning where you actually go around and you, you know, you, you greet your staff and say, good morning. Great to see you. How are you this morning? Um, anything going on? Uh, like if it's a Monday morning, ask about their weekend. If it's Friday morning, you know, what are you doing this weekend? If, if somebody just came back from a vacation, how was your vacation? That kind of just connect with people. Uh, something stupidly simple like that uh, gives people, gives employees the feeling that I'm being seen. This person cares about me. Uh, another tool that we uh, recommend is something we call take five, where you every day, you take five minutes with one of your employees with, with no specific agenda just to go up and reconnect with that person. Uh, hey, what's going on? How are you? Um, what are you working on? What's going on? Anything you need help with? Anything you need uh, support with? Um, and like you do one person then one day, another person the next day, and then once you've been through everybody, back to the first person. You can even, right. if, you're, if you're a very structured manager, you can put this in your schedule, put it in your calendar to remind yourself, you know, every day from one to 105, whenever, take five minutes with somebody, have an Excel sheet with everybody's names in it, so you can, and the date you last talked to that person, so you know whose turn it is now. Nothing wrong with that if, if, if that helps you actually do it. Of course, at, at the foundation of these kinds of techniques is, is the very simple proposition that as a manager, you should actually care about your people. <laughs> you should actually like them. Uh, and this is, this is maybe a radical notion, but I don't think you should lead people if you don't like people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a lot, I think a lot of managers, um, especially a lot of the old school managers, they're like, they see people as a necessary evil. They're just a, like an annoyance and, and they require so much maintenance and, you know, everything would be so much better if I had machines to do the job. Um, but as a manager, you don't lead machines, you don't lead spreadsheets, you don't lead projects, you lead people. And if you like people, uh, you, you're going to be a much better manager and your employees are going to be much happier and much more productive. 
It reminds me of that Orson Welles quote, you know, the Citizen Kane director, when one of his actors asked him, you know, what's my motivation for this role? And he says, well, you're getting paid. (laughs) Exactly. 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 Yeah. And and money is just a a supremely bad motivator. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. So, 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 um, that makes sense. I totally relate to that. Not saying good morning. I, I, I'm, just, I'm guilty, right? You know, I'll just, I'll just come in, you know, to the office, and uh, I'll just be totally focused on, you know, I've got to get to that email. I've got to make this call, and yeah, it, it, it could take. I can understand how that might take a bit of discipline to, yeah, for some, to. Yeah, uh, I mean, for some that. people, that does, that just comes naturally. It's just who they are, um, and for other people, it's a practice they have to learn. A skill they had to pick up, uh, but it's absolutely it's absolutely doable. It's absolutely something you can learn, and and if you try this for a for a while, I think you'll find that it it works, and and that those five minutes you spend saying good morning or talking to people make the rest of the day so much more effective, because people have that feeling that you see them, you care about them, um, and 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 by the way, you will if you do that the 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 take five thing. Um, very often you'll find out things that you didn't other that you wouldn't otherwise have known. Like you're talking to this employee, how was your weekend? How was your vacation? And while you're talking to them, they'll uh, talking to them, they'll be like, "Hey, oh, by the way, while I have you," and then you'll learn something really important that you wouldn't otherwise have heard. Um, yeah. So it's it's you can say that you can you can look at it as wasted time because in those five minutes, none of you are working. Yeah. But you can also look at it as, as, as lubrication that makes the rest of the work go way better and smoother and faster. Yeah, yeah. And I guess especially in this hybrid working and remote wearing, working where the chances of that happening organically are much lower. Yeah, that's actually a, it's, that's a really tricky challenge, right? Is, is how do we maintain... It's, it's easier to create relationships when we're in the same room at the same time. Yeah. It's just way more natural. So how do we create the same experience remotely um and that's something managers are going to have to figure out how to do but like a five minute scheduled zoom call uh, with one of your people every day hey what's going on how the hell are you um that kind of thing uh would might be one option we have all of this technology let's figure out how to use it to create results and relationships yeah yeah what's your um What's your understanding of, of gratitude and its relationship to happiness? That's come up a lot on this podcast. I wonder if you've looked at that. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a huge amount of research on the value of gratitude. Um, and we also, know that, uh, we also know that there's this thing called negativity bias, which means that we're just better at noticing and focusing on the bad things. Uh, and we're also better at remembering bad experiences. And that actually, that actually you can see that very clearly in the workplace. Where, um, where people are just way better at complaining about the bad things in their jobs than appreciating the good things in their jobs. So a specific, uh, specific exercise that we recommend for everybody who has a job is like, uh, at the end of, of your work week, uh, Friday afternoon, sit down and, and you know, write down three good experiences you had at work that week. Because yeah. uh, otherwise you won't remember. You'll just remember that, that, that terrible meeting that was super boring and nothing ever happened. You sat there for two hours and you almost fell asleep or you know, that conflict we had with a coworker or whatever. You'll remember that. Uh, but you'll, you'll, you, we tend to forget the good stuff. Um, so so uh, super simple practice. Before you leave uh, every Friday afternoon, uh, before you leave the office, uh, open a work document or whatever and write down three good things that happened at work that day. Uh, that, sorry, that week. 
Um, and there's there's uh, evidence that this, this actually raises your happiness levels, uh, not just on Fridays, but but overall, because it helps, it trains your mind to also remember the good things. Something we can also do is uh, we can do this in our meetings. Um, very, very often uh, meetings are, you know, like team meetings or project meetings. They're very focused on obstacles or problems or challenges. Um, so a specific thing we recommend is at the beginning of always start, always, always start your meetings with something positive. Yeah. Uh, just like two minutes, like here's something good that happened in this project. Here's something good that happened in the team, or maybe have, you know, go around the, go around the group and let everybody just very briefly share something good that happened to them at work since the last meeting. Yeah. Um, again, helps us to focus, uh, on the good and share the good stories. Because the, the, the bad stories, they share themselves, uh, but the good stories need a little, they need a, a conscious effort to, uh, uh, to promote them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because I've been getting into gratitude practices and I've now got it as part of my, my morning meditation. Like there's this section that I do a guided meditation. It's always gratitude. But what I've noticed is, yeah, I definitely feel like I'm getting happier over time as a result of it. But also I, this negativity bias becomes much more obvious to spot or for me it has i'm getting much quicker at noticing ah there i go i'm in a negative thought and yeah and it just becomes much more obvious to me this negativity bias that i'm sort of that we're all swimming in and i can yeah. and then it gives course it then gets easy to pull myself back away from ah, stop that richard you know yeah absolutely uh, that's uh, that's great it's great to hear that and it works it really works and a lot i think a lot of people are starting to pick it up in their personal life but yeah. the same practices are going to work in your work life um yeah so yeah and i think that's the, the the gift especially for people who run meetings or managers you know you, you 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 force it at the top of the agenda then then you've you've given everybody the chance to to sort of snap out of the negativity the negativity bias for yeah. at least for those couple of minutes yeah also specifically there there is there is research on this uh showing that if a meeting starts with something positive the rest of the meeting will be more positive and more effective more productive if a meeting starts with something negative, uh, you get the opposite effect. They actually did uh, study, psychological studies on this where they, they planted an actor in the group whose role it was to speak first in the meeting and either say something positive or something negative, and then they could measure the effect on the rest of the meeting. And they, and they found that this, you know, uh, first thing is if the first thing that's said in a meeting is positive, the rest of the meeting will be more positive and more productive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, uh, uh, I guess what's interesting about this whole body of research is that a, a lot of what we, well two things a lot of what we might intuitively expect to be true turns out to be true right and we we now get it confirmed but also i always find what's interesting is is how the parallel between a lot of what we we're now finding through these social science experiments relates to religious practices going back thousands of years across all the different faiths right we say grace you know gratitude for before a meal for example yeah exactly i mean there there's a reason why why so many cultures and religions have these practices and it's, it's because they work. Mm. Um, and they, and that has, you know, cultures that had these, uh, practices probably succeeded more than cultures that didn't have similar practices. Um, it's, it's kind of like a, a social, social Darwinism basically. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it is where we are returning to some of the ancient wisdom. We're also disregarding some of the ancient wisdom and finding out, nah, we, we used to believe that this was the key to happiness and now we don't anymore. 
Um, and that's and that's great too. And that's that is why I think it's absolutely essential to follow the science. Because let's face it, there is a lot of bullshit out there. Mm. <laughs> there are a lot of consultants trying to sell a lot of different um, uh, methodologies or tools or, you know, one of my favorite ones is, is color theory, color psychology. Yeah. Like, they're like, uh, if you paint the, the walls in your office red, it's going to create this mood or this effect. No, it's not. It, that's, that's nonsense. And the research very clearly shows that there is no effect on that. Uh, one that I really hated was using. Um, well, I, I saw uh, something about they did some piece of research where they they painted people's backyards, like if they had concrete backyards green or, or just left them, and they noticed some slight uptick in happiness for the ones who had the green. I, back. There's 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 no reliable evidence on 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 any of that, uh, and really? certainly not in the workplace. Certainly not in the workplace. Mm. Like if you think you can play your you know paint the walls blue and people will be more calm and serene. While while the managers are still yelling in, the, in their face every time they're late on a project, that's, that's not going to work. Uh, yeah. One of one of the one I saw that I really hated was using uh, graphology, like handwriting analysis in hiring. That's that is that is complete nonsense. Handwriting analysis is pseudoscience on the level of like phrenology, uh, mm. you know, studying the bumps on people's skulls to figure out their personalities. Um, but but in in all seriousness, companies use this as part of their hiring process and it's it's completely bogus and there are right. so many examples of this kind of thing um so 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 that's that's my that's my impassioned plea for people to please look at the research please look at the science uh when you're trying to design a better workplace you know the colors in the wall are not going to matter but how you treat your employees is going to matter uh right. the the you know having a gym in the office is not going to make a difference but you know giving people positive feedback is going to make a huge difference and we know this from the research um because otherwise you you know otherwise you're going to end up wasting a lot of time and money on the wrong things um which is which is just a crying this is a damn shame yeah 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 um for you personally is there is there like one specific misconception you had about happiness in the work place that you had dispelled by looking at the research? Uh, that's a good question. I, I've, I've, I've definitely learned a lot. Um, did I have like a specific misconception? I think maybe, I think maybe my, one of my misconceptions was maybe that uh, at the beginning, I did have an over-reliance on like my personal um, you know, the whole, the whole happiness is a choice thing and you can just choose mm. to be happy. Like happiness is an internal state. Your surroundings don't really matter. Uh, you just choose to be happy. There's, there's definitely a lot of people saying that, especially like in the, in the whole spiritual space. Yeah. Uh, and that turns out to be very much wrong. It's absolutely not true. Um, your surroundings do matter. Uh, yeah. You know, if you're in a horrible, toxic workplace, if you're being bullied, if you have a terrible manager, you, can't, you cannot choose to be happy. It's, it's not going to work. Um, and and you, need to get, you need to get out of there. Um, so that was actually a, a thing I, I used to say in the very beginning. of like happiness is a choice. And what I say now instead is that happiness begins with a choice. Uh, you know, you can say, I, I want to be happy at work. That, that in itself will not make you happy at work. Uh, it re right. it, I promise you it won't. But once you've made that choice, maybe you can then say, okay, if I really want to be happy at work and my boss is just such a jerk, what I need to do now is quit, find something else, either find another job and then quit or just quit and then find something else.
Um, so that was that was definitely one of my main misconceptions. I think I fell a little bit for that. Happiness is an internal state, and you can always choose to be happy. No, you can't. Uh, that is that is complete nonsense. It's it's even I would even argue it's dangerous nonsense because it it, right. it puts the blame on you know if you're not happy at work it's, it's your own fault. Why didn't you? Yeah, didn't where's you just that line of where that becomes victim blaming? I could see that exactly, exactly yeah. right. And there's that whole you know the secret and and that whole thing you know where they're just you, know, you can manifest whatever you want just by thinking about it. And no, you can't. That's not how the universe works. Uh, but I I definitely fell for that one. Um, and 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 as I looked at the re- as I looked at the research, I became much more aware of the of the importance of your surroundings. Um, and of of course, there are things you can do as a, as a person to improve your own work situation. But there are also work situations that are just too toxic, too negative, too bad. Um, and if you're in one of those, then you need to get the hell out of there. Uh, so that was yeah. definitely one misconception that I I had cleared up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is all an and, isn't it? It's like Yes, there's there's lots of things you can do as an individual, and and it's the environment. The environment makes a big difference. It's it's exactly. It's not an either or. It's a both and. Because yeah. there are also yeah. there are definitely also people who are in you know in pretty good work situations, but they're just completely incapable of seeing the good in it, uh, and and extremely good at picking up on every little every little negative detail and complaining about that incessantly. Those people also exist. Um, and they will there, you know, unless they can, they can change their habits, they will never be happy at work. Uh, they will never, probably never be happy in anything. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I've seen it in my own life with the gratitude practice I mentioned. Also the therapy I do, right? Like I get less, less and less triggered by people in, in you know, yeah. my life, you know, because I, I figure out, oh, okay, that, that, that guy reminds me of my father or that something from my part. And, you know, I work on it and then it's gone. And then that, that contributes to my happiness overall yeah i think it's actually one of the uh, more encouraging encouraging trends sorry one of the more encouraging trends i've seen recently is this normalization of going to therapy i've done it myself i think everybody should uh there there's so much to gain for it it used to be uh, shameful and you know real men uh don't have feelings and that kind of thing and yeah. that's just nonsense right um I think it's it's uh, it's it's nice to see that it's been it's been it's being it's, been, it's becoming so commonplace and people are not afraid to talk about it. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I I I think that's right. I mean, it's been been transformative. Yeah, yeah, totally transformative for me. It's uh, yeah, 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 and um, and I think yeah, as you say, especially for men, right? I think I think we as 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 males of the species have it's even more incumbent <laughs> on us to talk about it because it's. There's just that extra bit of shame about you know getting into our feelings and crying, crying on the yeah. sofa if uh, if we're men. Yeah, partly that, and also partly that uh, women are just for some reason better at building close relationships with friends, um, right? And 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 men have fewer close relationships. Um, and uh, yeah, um, again, research is very clear on that. So uh, so we have we have fewer places to go with our doubts and fears and um and our anxieties yeah yeah i think that's true and, and i and i what i found with the therapy is is the paradox is that the more i do that deeper work and allow myself to get to the grief and get the tears out and so on the more you know the more manly i become right the more kind of balanced <laughs> i become emotionally right it's this uh, exactly it's, exactly yeah. it's it's such a weird thing to say that it's not manly to you know 
how could it how could it not be manly to have the courage to actually face up to your own inner life and and do something take action to make it better uh yeah yeah well you know what would be incredibly unmasculine would be to not go to therapy because other people say uh, you know think it would be uh it would be feminine right <laughs> what a good point Caring right? about what other people yeah that would be incredibly uh wimpy and not masculine yeah yeah i'm not yeah i'm not gonna go to therapy because i think all my friends are gonna think i'm a wimp yeah that's a pass <laughs> yeah unmanly as it gets great point <laughs> wimpy wimpy yeah. <laughs> yeah great um Good. Well, you know, it feels like we've had a really good, uh, you know, tour of some of the concepts and some of the techniques. Is, is there anything we've missed or you'd like to, to share that we haven't touched on? Uh, I, you know, uh, my advice for everybody is, is you know, again, just look into the science and then do, then do something about it. Right. What, what can you do as an, to improve your own work situation? How can you create better results and relationships for yourself? And what can you do as a manager um, to create, uh, create for yourself and for your employees? And, and there is one piece of advice that I think is incredibly important and again, shows up in the research uh, again and again. It turns out that huh, uh, probably the most important piece of happiness advice is that if you want to be happier yourself, the best thing you can do is go make somebody else happy. Mm. There's, uh, there's so much research on this, so many experiments that show that when you do nice things for yourself, it makes you a little happier. But when you do nice things for others, it makes you a lot happier. Um, and there is, uh, this probably is, is how we're born. There's, there's these uh, fascinating studies they did with toddlers in Germany at the Max Planck Institute. Uh, they, they take like a toddler um, and they, they show the toddler an adult who needs help, like getting into a cupboard or something. And completely without prompting, uh, toddlers will just go and help. Uh, because that's just who we are. If we see somebody in need, we want to help them. If we can raise other people's happiness levels, it comes right back to ourselves. Um, and I, I think that's incredibly important to remember because that elevates, you know, the pursuit of happiness at, in, in, at work or in life from being like a selfish, selfish pursuit, I want to make myself happier, to being something we all do together, something we do for others. Um, and it's incredibly important that it doesn't become this, what can I do for me? Uh, because that's not going to work. It's probably going to backfire. Uh, it's it's got to be like a common process. It's got to be something we do together, uh, especially in our teams and our workplaces to figure out how we can, how we create a, uh, you know, a workplace where everybody's happy, not just me, but everybody. Um, I think that focus is, that's really, really important to remember. Um, and that's what you see in, um, you know, when I've, I've visited some of the best workplaces in the world, and that's what you see when, when you go there. It's just everybody cares about everybody else. Everybody cares about the impact they have on other people. Um, and it, it just elevates the whole organization. Um, and it is, it's beautiful to see uh, these, these, these workplaces where people can just, can just be themselves and just be nice to each other and do great work together. I think that's what we need to aim for. Yeah, oh, that's such an important, yeah, an important point. And great, you got it out there. And I must admit, I was feeling a little bit of like almost a bit of guilt as you were sharing that, because because when I'm consuming all of the you know the the, the book and everything else, I'm, I'm yeah. The first question I ask is, okay, what could I be doing like to improve my happiness? Right. That yeah. that is a hundred percent where I go first in my mind. And I th and I think everybody does. And it turns out that and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that question. But also the other question is then, but what can I do for others? 
knowing that yeah. that will also then reflect back on me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Great. Good. Uh, all right. Well, Alexander, thank you for sharing your time. Uh, My absolute pleasure. All the way from, from Copenhagen. I really enjoyed this, uh, this conversation. Uh, Me too. I'm, it's super practical. I'm hoping uh, people listening to this are going to get a lot out of it. Um, we will put links to the book. Um, Happy Hour is nine to five, as well as to your blog uh, and to the two, you know, to the organizations that you uh, that you founded and run. Um, once again, it's been awesome to have you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And have a well, have a very happy day. <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> Thank you. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.